0: My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Mack Avenue Community Church, and uh, we've been uh, walking through the book of John for a little bit now. Uh, We are in chapter 12. If you need a Bible, uh, which you probably will need, we're going to go through half the chapter. uh, So I know that really excites a lot of you guys. Um, Half the chapter. um, There are Bibles back here. If you raise your hand or you can just in an informal way, grab a Bible, but there'll be people who can give you a Bible uh, the text will also be up on the screen. If you turn your uh, your program on its, on its back, you'll see a uh, note area where you can take notes down. Uh, please feel free to do that. If you need a pen, uh, just again, raise your hand. We'll provide you with a pen. Our desire is that we'll understand a little more about the story of God and it uh, would we'll lead to worship. So we're going to turn to John chapter 12 and... Uh, yeah, grab these Bibles real quick. I want to start by uh, by, by giving a, a few ground rules what we're going to do today. Uh, first thing is uh, John chapter 12 is probably uh, the last chapter uh, where you begin to see sort of the public demonstration of Jesus' ministry. Um, this is where he's like, this is after this, you know, he's not really uh, like out teaching like, like crazy. He's not out doing any acts or anything like that. Um, there is a lot of dialogue But the but the scenery changes drastically after chapter 12. Um, And so we're going to really soak this in on what's going on um, in chapter 12. The theme, uh, because it's so it's so rich and so there's so much stuff, is I want us to look at chapter 12 from this perspective. I want us to continue to think to ourselves expectations. Okay, I want us to be thinking expectations like what. So what are my expectations? Because the thing is, we all have expectations. We all come to the table in any arena of life, and we have the the thing, the way we think sh- things should go. Like when I do, you know, I do premarital counseling, and that's one of the biggies. Whenever you do premarital counseling, is you you're all lovey dovey and they're all hugging and stuff, and then you start talking about, so what are your expectations in the marriage? And now that's when you know it starts getting kind of crazy because then she he says something like, "Well, I thought you were going to always, you know, do whatever." Fill in the blank. I ain't about to get in trouble up here. And then she. Well, I, my mom ain't never do that, you know, and the next you know God, right? Because there's missed expectations. And so uh, even, even in something as minuscule as when you think of the grand scale of God's kingdom as premodal counseling, uh, we find ourselves having expectations, and if they're not clear, you sort of miss the mark. You sort of miss each other, right? Well, what's happening all throughout the scriptures is that there is an expectation on a reality of, of what life is. Right. We all have expectations in this room of what we think life should be, of how it should go, what we deserve, what we think we should get. Right. And then there's the reality of life. And I would tell you what pigeonholes people, what makes people, uh, all of us never begin to actually grow or never be the woman or man that we're called to be is when we never face reality, is when we begin to build our own reality, we begin to build our own fake life around our expectations right which 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 really can't even be met all the time and we begin to say well but I really want to be and we begin to build what I call a pseudo life okay i want to proclaim to you that the bible's teaching what you've done is you've fallen right into the trap of the enemy because what you've done is you're now no longer living true life you're living a fake life based on your own dream and i, I, got, I got just a real just a real practical story you know i remember growing up as a kid and i would um my mom and dad chose drugs, and my dad was a drug addict. You know, he smoked crack and heroin and all this stuff. And I remember feeling so embarrassed um, about my mom and my dad. My mom had dri- driven to alcohol, so now she's alcoholic, and it was just crazy. And I will see my dad beat my mom. And I remember just beginning to make up stuff. I, be- I, remember- I remember just beginning to act like we had a lot of resources. So I would lie to my friends and talk about how much money we had. I remember lying to my friends, talking about that we went on vacations. I would just make up stuff. And it's funny how the Holy Spirit, it was almost like I suppressed it until I started just diving into Word. And the Lord was like, remember, you used to do this. You used to do this whole like, fake life thing. Because the pain was so intense that I, I, I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to be someone else. I didn't want to be where I was. I didn't want to face reality. Well, as we look at this chapter, I want us to be thinking, expectations. So, what are our expectations and then what is God's reality? Okay, that's how I want us to look at this. So we'll we'll jump back and forth throughout the text, okay? I'm gonna read this story and I want you to put yourself in a mindset of a first century Judas. put yourself back there, try to see the hills, you know, see the little area, see the dirt, see, you know, see these people sitting around talking, see the ex- see the, the conversation that, that Jesus is having and the people are having with him, and let's be there, okay? I want to see what the Lord is trying to teach us. Let's start in verse 1, family. Expectations. Expectations fulfilled, question mark. It says six days before the Passover, <clears throat> which obviously, if you, um, you've been with us, is tied to chapter 11, right? Because he says Jesus arrived at Bethany. Well, we go, oh, yeah, Bethany. Just like the Bethany we were talking about in chapter 11, right? Yep. Uh, where Lazarus lived, uh, whom Jesus had raised uh, from the dead. So I love how the author wants to re- wants to remind us. Remember now, he just raised a dude from the dead. Don't forget that um, to validate some of his claims. It says, verse 2, here, a dinner was given in, in Jesus' honor. Mary served uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So, I, I, you know, I, I talked about, I made fun of this a little bit um, last week. I'm just saying, guys, you know, okay, this isn't even... This is just me. I just love history. I love looking at things and realizing this is true. They're sitting down having dinner, all right, and they're eating with a dude who used to be in a tomb for four days. Can you just put your, just imagine that for a moment with me? You know, and you guys know I got, the, I got the sort of the reputation of being a germaphobe. You know, I'm not hugging that brother. So. It says they were playing at the table hanging out. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Um, let me just pause there for a moment to give us a little picture here. So we got so Mary comes out and it has this perfume, and it says and it makes it very clear it's expensive. Uh, and we're going to know how expensive, how, how expensive it is in a moment. But look at what she does. So she takes perfume and pours it on his feet and then wipes it with her hair. Two things don't miss here. First of all, usually perfume or uh, oils. Usually you did when you were when you were anointing someone. OK. Um, but it's interesting here that she pours it on his feet. OK. And we're going to understand why she does that in a moment. But then notice what she does. She takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. Okay, unbelievable. In the first century, women to do this was like like she was seen at this point like a hoochie, okay, because that or or promiscuous at best or kind of kind of like loose, okay, because you kept your hair. up, You did not. You when your hair was falling and you were like just hanging out, it, it made you seem like you were loose. But for, what I love about this is I love the demonstration here is we see her not being not caring about what people think. But she's more concerned about what Jesus thinks. Right. She's at a point now. She's like, I don't care what y'all think. I, I just want him to understand something, how I view Jesus. I want him to know how much I care about him. So this might make me look a certain way to y'all but it's going to make me look another way to him. He's going to see something else, and that's what I'm most important to. That's not even the point here, but I wonder about in our own lives. How many times do we do that? Do we say, I don't care what the world thinks, but it only matters what you think, Jesus. I wonder how radical we would be. So she wipes, she wipes his um, feet with her hair, and then you get a hater in the crowd. You get Judas. Judas says, you know, says, but one of his disciples... Judas is scared, who was later to betray him, objected. And I love how he even says that guy. So he, he mentions, he does the whole surname thing, and then says, one of his disciples who was to betray him. And it's almost like the author wants to remind us, like, like, this is serious business. It's not that he was just betrayed, it was one of his disciples that betrayed him. Um, let me continue on. It says, he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money, uh, given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. So you have denarii, right? So you, you probably made a denarii a day. Okay? And, and so that means this, this was probably like, the, the, historians would say this cost about 300 denarii. Okay, so can you imagine? You know, think of all you made this year and you giving 90% of it or so. Uh, and just basically in the eyes of the world wasting it on someone's feet. It says, um, verse 6, it says, he did not say this. Now, I love this. It gives us a little insight into the motivation and the character of, of our man Judas here. It says, but see, he, he did not say this because he, he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself um, uh, to what was put in it. Before I continue, he, I love Now, when you go into the original language here, He says here, it says he was a thief. Uh, as keeper of the money bag, so it was. It's, it's almost like the term is like he carried the money, uh, but then it's like it's a, there's a play on words here because he says he carried the money, but he carried the money away with him. And so it's, it's like this interesting play on words, like the sense of like yeah, he carried the money, all right, right? He was he was dipping into the money, which comes to my the first expectation that seems the Bible. It seems like what, what what the story of God is trying to express here, and that's this issue um, that I want to talk about: human desires. And then God's desires. When you look at this, it seems here that expectation is selfish motivation hidden behind the shadows of holiness. Okay, so we have Judas here, who who says, you know, look, what are you doing? Like we could use that to the, for the poor, right? So it seems like, oh, that's so sweet, Judas. You want to serve the poor people? You want to make sure that the poor are getting theirs, right? And so it's interesting to me that in versus just being honest with himself and saying, I'm trying to get paid. You know, like, why you, Jesus, 300 bones? We could have split that up, man. You know, and then Jesus could have rebuked him, but at least he would have been real. He's like, no, we're supposed to get that to the poor. Right? And what was interesting about this is, is the would say that this, this, this point in time, this activity is one that almost broke, broke the camel's back for Judas. This, like, right after this is when he, he goes off. Uh, like you have this, and then this is when he goes and sort of makes kind of the deal. Uh, with uh, with the people for the for the sh- for the silver. And and you think about it, it makes sense. Why? Because imagine Judas, if he is a thief, he's probably I wonder, there must be some motivation, you know, with the materialism piece of him going, OK, I'm hanging with Jesus. and He got and all that. But really, like, shouldn't we be getting paid? You're a miracle worker. Should we like isn't this a good gig? Like 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 and probably he was disappointed because there was no money in the gig. Here he is, hanging with a miracle worker, hanging with a guy, you know, who's supposed to be God, and he's you know, he's getting a little stash, but obviously he wanted more money, right? And then obviously we see him want more money because he sells them for like, what, 30 shekels of silver? I wonder if he, I wonder in his mind, and I'm just, I'm just proposing, this is not theological, but I'm wondering if he was like, man, I'm just kinda, I'm tired of this. I thought there was gonna be more money in the bank, man, this, you know, and you're just not bringing it like I thought, man. People, you healing people, and you ain't asking for no dough, you know. Like, what is the deal? I wonder if there's something there where he went, you know what, look, I got to turn you in home. I'm going to get mine and I'm going to leave. I wonder. I wonder for sure. But what, but, but, what we, but what we do know is that there's a selfish motivation hidden behind the godliness. And the question I ask is, do we do this? Do we? Do we you know, I, I talk to people all the time. They'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, I don't want to share my faith because I, I, I really want to love people. What? You know, you know, you, you, you know, you just walk up to them and tell them about Jesus. I want to have that relationship for three years. You know, I want to, I want to build relationship. And it can come off, you know, it can come off like, wow, you just really want to have a relationship. But is there something else there? Why automatically just because I want to tell people proclaim Jesus unapologetically? Am I messed up? And you got a good heart? I wonder if there's, if there's some baggage there. I wonder some baggage of like, I'm scared. I don't want to look stupid. Um, you know, I mean, what if they, what if they don't receive? I wonder this baggage of man of like, you know what? I think maybe the way I do things help people come to Christ and not the Holy Spirit. I just wonder what are some ways that we can have selfish motivations, um, seen in giving, you know, like how we, 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 we say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to give to this church cause I don't know what they're going to do with it. You know, now for the, for you guys wondering, Anytime a person gives to this church, it doesn't go to any pastor. It goes, it goes to the community. Okay, we, we all raise support outside the community, just to let you know. But it's interesting to me. People can have all kinds of reasons why they don't do stuff. But it was interesting, we as Christians or, or proposed believers, we couch it in godliness. And I just want to ask ourselves to be asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I, am I masking my baggage or am I just being real honest? You know, one of the biggest things that, that we that we get, I think, at Macav, and Here's why. And don't hear me here, family, because we go out and serve and do all kind of stuff. And we're out here a lot. The propensity to burn our crew route is high. Confess that totally high. And that's why my prayer is that as we as the Lord brings more people, we'll have more arms, you know, so that we can really just be enjoying the gospel and not killing ourselves. There's some of y'all in here who need to take a break. Some of you guys in here right now need to sit and say, you know what, maybe I need to stop doing one or two things so I can focus on some stuff. You know, like, you know, so, I mean, not to pick on him, Micah does a lot. So he and, he and he's thinking about some new things he wants to do. He has. Then he also has, you know, he has his job where he's trying to figure out journey with his job. He's trying to plan himself here. Then he's doing worship stuff. He's doing he's doing discipleship. You know, he tries to come to some outreaches here and there. You know, he might want to be prayerful and say, OK, if, if I'm really trying to do this new thing that he's thinking about. Maybe I just take a step back, just for the sake of health, and just see what the Lord wants me to be. You know, do about. It. You know, it's a Holy Spirit decision. We want to free every person in this room to say, Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to live a gospel-centered life in this community, in my flavor? Okay. There's some of us in here. We're not doing jack, and and we're kind of going. We're, we're kind of going well. I'm not doing anything right now because I know I know where I'm going to be, in a year. and so we we sort of front load things. We're pigeonhole because of future issues, past baggage, whatever it is. And instead of just going, "Dude, I'm just not going to do that right now because I'm going to chill until I'm done with whatever I'm going to do and leave," we start throwing stones at the ministry. You know why y'all working us so hard? <laughs> this, that, and the other. I just want to suggest, family, I don't think any of that's right. I don't think it's right for, for, for the body of God here to be asking people to do stuff where they're unhealthy. But I don't think it's right for our people to throw stones instead of dealing with their own baggage. It seems like the healthy medium here is for each one of us to say, let's believe the best. Let's love each other well. And let's say, Lord, what are you calling me to? And let's trust that God is doing a work in each other's lives. And let's just do it all for the sake of the mission, for the glory of God. Let's say, look, man, so if you don't come to reach, praise the Lord. We're just asking that you're prayerful, that you ask the Lord, Lord, and do I just want to watch the tournament? Or, or, I'm just saying, can we, I'm saying, let's not be like Judas. Let's just be honest with each other. And please rebuke us, because we, if, we, if we ever forsake you for the mission, Scream! Because we don't want to be about that family. We don't want to be about that. But man, we love you so much that it hurts when people say that you don't love me, you just want something accomplished. It hurts. And I know, you know, I read the preaching books, you're not supposed to do this kind of stuff up front, but we're supposed to be family here. I just want us to be operating the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, selfish motivation hidden behind godliness. Now, now that's what, that's what Judas does. We can agree with that, right, family? Some of y'all right now mad at me. Don't be mad. If the shoe fit, don't wear it. Take the shoe off. It's hurting your corns. But if the shoe fit, be prayerful, okay? And love me, and let's go to the next point and make sure you be blessed by the Lord. Don't be caught up. I'm still in the first point. I can't believe you said, you know, don't... OK. All right. Now, God's desires. So God's that what I want to do. E, should you be leading this? Yeah, I just want to make sure that it's flowing. Um, God, God's desire, because I, want, I wanted I to go just right right back to it. God's desires. And look at look at what happens here. When you go back to um, Mary, no, notice her, notice what her deal was. Worship, adoration, and devotion. Now, when you look at the comparison, and he gives a comparison, who do you think God is pleased with? Just, just proposing. When you think of God's desires, and you see she's saying, I don't care. I want to adore you. I want to model my devotion to you by being at your feet. Um, I want to worship you, Lord. Versus this guy going, I can't believe you're doing this. You're spending all that money. Who is God pleased with? Okay, let's continue on. He says, "He says you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me." So that's so that's his response, right? He says, "Get off her! Don't mess with her!" Guess what? You will always have the poor among you. Now, sometimes we take this, you know, I've heard some people in my, in my family say, "Look, you know, you see poor people. Hey, it is what it is. You're gonna always have the poor among you. Almost like because poor people are gonna always be here, you ain't gotta serve them, right?" That's, if anybody believes that, that's not biblical. That's not what God is saying in this text. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, I believe it's verse 11, what he's saying is because you always have the poor among you, you are to always be gracious and kind and caring for those who are in need. His point here is to, show, is to show that if I'm saying that about the poor, how intense and how serious I am about you caring for those who are in need, how much more when I put me above that, when I say I'm here for a short time, he says, you're supposed to do that, but I'm here now. He says, seize the day now. Right. As he says, and which which I want to suggest to you. That are that basically the human desire, you know, we see is to an excuse to detract from intimacy. We say, you know what? I mean, ask yourselves, how how do I detract from intimacy? You know, because we look at the, how do I you know, say, well, I, I can't I can't really go all there in you, Jesus. I, I, you know that's kind of crazy. Like, what does that what does that look like in your life to to detract from the intimacy of Christ? Because it seems that in verse eight, Jesus is saying is non-negotiable. That that being with Jesus and being in tune with Christ and looking at your life and saying you are what matters most is not like if you're a really really good Christian. It's the call to Christianity family. That's our call. If we love our king, this is what it looks like for us to say you are mine. You are everything. And that's totally non-negotiable. It continues on. Meanwhile, it says a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also uh, to see Lazarus. I'm in verse uh, chapter verse nine. That detracted for intimacy, uh, hit some people. Um, I'm gonna go back there in a moment, but let's stay here. He says, uh, "Whom he had raised from the dead, again bringing that picture of raising Lazarus from the dead." Verse ten, it says, "So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of this, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him." Now this and that. Now remember, remember in chapter eleven, family, he says, "Hey, look." I don't, want to, I don't want to off the brother, but, you know, to kill Jesus, we're going to really save Jerusalem. So I know it's against the rules, but just for one man to die for the rest of the, you know, for, for all the Israelites is, you know, it, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So it seemed like they got it, but now they want to kill two people. I think it's interesting how, how evil, how, how, how it just increases, how, how it justifies itself. You know, first it was like, now we never do this. Just as one. We're going to kill Jesus. All right. And now all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, whoa! Jesus and Lazarus. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because more because that nut rising from the dead is bringing more people to Jesus, and we can't have that. Um. So check this out. Continue, continues on. He says they're putting their faith in Jesus. Uh, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd, which I propose is a different crowd than the one we were just talking about um, through in verse nine. Uh, that had come from the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Look what they did, family. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, uh, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, this is in history, family, right? Notice this. So, Hosanna. The the word means like, um, it means like save, right? I pray. Save us, Lord, kind of deal. Uh, Save, I pray. And I was thinking about that, like, huh, like, what? This, this, this seems like an interesting part here. Because you might think, oh, they got exactly what they were saying, uh, this whole shouting of victory. But I, I propose to you, them saying this, they almost didn't even know what they were saying. It's almost like when we say, um, uh, goodbye or something. Like, when we say goodbye, like, do we know the origin of goodbye? Like, what, what, what it, what it, what it abbreviates? Um, if I was to write it up here, uh, usually when you say that, the, the etymology of it is, is God be with ye. Like so, when you're when you're ever saying goodbye, you so if you don't believe in God, well, you you you're saying God be with ye all the time, to people. I'm just kidding. No, but um, you are saying that. But yeah, so the etymology of that is God be with ye. And you know how sometimes my point is how how sometimes we can say a lot of things and we not even know the impact of them, we not even know the meaning of it. Uh, I, I would propose this is one of those times. They're saying this stuff, but the question is saying save. Well, I was to say there's, again, there's a human desire here and there's a a God-centered desire. Save. Save from what? It seems like we want Jesus to save us from our drama. Right. I I guarantee you, these guys being under the pigeonhole of the Romans were like, Jesus, save us. I'm tired of being sort of a pseudo slave, being, you know, low man on a totem pole. It's time for you to save us. You say you're going to come and redeem all things. Come save us, Jesus. But from what? From our drama. That's kind of us. We're honest, right? Lord, save me from from anything that's of harm, uh, from from any lack of prosperity, from any pain, any broken relationships. It's one of the biggest things for us as people. This I think this this is one of the biggie expectations. If we can if we can wrestle with this one, acknowledge it, and then look Christ straight in the face and realize that you know what? But does not what you promised necessarily. What did Jesus promise? It seems like He promised to save us from our sin from ourself, and from evil, and evil one. Do you hear me, family? That the, that the Bible is saying, no, what you need to be saved from is not all this, but it's here. Is that you're dead, and you don't realize that you've got all this sin, and that you, you, your propensity is to, is to not please the Lord. Your propensity is to do evil all the time, and to ask the Lord, Lord, would you save me from sinful nature, if you're an unbeliever, And then God says, I'll do that. That God is trying to save people uh, from the marredness of the fall of sin. And then he's trying to continually be saving us from the wiles of the enemy. Satan putting lies in our minds and in our hearts to always detract worship from God. Those are very different, aren't they? Very different. One focus is us. Other focus is God's glory. So we, you know, so we want, we want, you know, great families, we want great community, we want no adversity, we want no broken relationships. But the real question, what I love what Jesus is always doing, but then he's asking at the end of all that, at the end of all that stuff you want, you want a nice boyfriend, nice girlfriend. He's saying, but do you also want Jesus? If I gave you all that and know Jesus, would you ask for Jesus or would you go, Thanks. That's a key indicator of your pulse of Christianity. If you're right now going, I'll take all that and bump Jesus, I will tell you something. You're probably kind of flatlining. You're probably kind of not not getting the gospel because your focus is stuff. Expectations fulfilled. Expectations fulfilled? Whose? Let's continue on, family. Family. He says, um, Blessed is the King of Israel. Uh, I love it. He says, Jesus uh, found a young donkey and sat upon it. Verse 14, as it is written, it says, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, check that out. So, kingship. See, they're saying, Hey, our king is coming. Look how he's coming, though. They wanted him to ride like a king, usually, during this time. You got the palm branches. You know, representing his his um, his monarchical rule, his reign, right, and that he's going to save them. And then you got this whole issue of them coming to the city and people cheering. It's all the great picture, but it's something wrong here, man. You on the wrong animal. You want a donkey, homie. This little donkey. Have you ever seen a donkey? They look funny, right? Like a, a real tall person, you can be on a donkey and kind of still stand on your feet. 'Cause they kind of like, they kind of like, well, no, let me trip. So they look weird. Yeah, I don't know what that was, Jay. So, um, so you're on a donkey. Well, why is that weird? Because if you're a conquering king, you're supposed to be entering the city on a stallion. You're supposed to be entering, and it's supposed to be a triumphal procession, and you're supposed to have your booty in the bag—not your booty, but the booty it was like the things you brought. It was the stuff, y'all. That was okay. So it was the stuff you had when you conquered. So. You're supposed to have all this. And here he is on a little donkey. And the beauty of it is, you know who rode on donkeys, though? It was men of peace rode on donkeys. The clergy and people who who are not about drama rode on donkeys. So here's this king coming in peace. Interesting. Our king is coming. That's what we want. We want a triumphant warrior. Be my king. Let everybody know you're my king and that I serve you. And you, you get them, Jesus. That's what we want. Right? If we're honest, that's what we want. Because people laugh at us. Can't believe you worshiping God. I mean, that's kind of funny. Jesus. And we go, man, we have to and we, we bring ourselves back together here to remind ourselves we're not crazy. We're not crazy, y'all. So we do. Right? If you're out here sharing your faith, you know you guys are people looking at you like, dude. Oh, no, oh, I got a funny joke real quick. So we out, I got to put you on blast, Micah. So we out sharing our faith, right? And, um, the brother come up to Micah, you know, Micah, like, you know, like super, like, white and, and um, hey, don't, no, now here y'all go. See, that was a funny joke to you. all said, oh, ooh, come on, y'all. So, um, the brother, he's, he's serving a brother. You know, Micah's committed to the community. He's, in Ban- Ban- he's serving a brother, and, um, and the dude, and the dude was like, "Yo, man, let me tell you something. Why are you here?" He was like, "Just be honest." He was like, "You know, you some, you some rich white dude ain't had nothing else better to do today, and that's why you out here." You just totally playing me. And, and uh, but what I love was Michael's response. We made fun of Michael because Michael was like, "You right?" No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but that's beside the point, man. The gospel. No. So um. No, no. But you know what? So we get we get that. We get that all the time. People hating because we're saying that Jesus is Lord. That means Satan's not. That means you're not and that you can know him. And so Micah's standing up in the middle of a community where there's racism and all kind of junk and saying, but see, I'm part of the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we all one, baby. And so I'm standing here with courage and dignity in Christ telling you, my black brother, that you can know the Lord. And the brother came back with, with drama and stupid stuff. And so now what do you do? See, you know, Jesus didn't pop the dude on the head. Don't talk to Michael like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ain't none of that happened. But you know what, you know what Jesus did? You know how he triumphed, family? Don't you ever miss that word? Look at it. Messiah, it, just put it in your heart. Jesus triumphed by being a lamb. He triumphed by going to the slaughter. That's how he paid for the world's sin. That's how he set you and me free. Is that the way he conquered death and enemies and sin and Satan and all things that were not of his intention creation was by dying? Was by being a sacrifice for us, family. That's what he did. And that's what he's calling us to do. And that's what Micah did. He didn't yield his rights, he took the position of a lamb. That's not sexy, but it's real. It's real. That's cuter, but it's fake. It's fake. He continues on. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. What in the world? This brother on a donkey? Man, and we saw him heal somebody, knowing he got mad power. And I'm still mad because we broke. No. <laughs> Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about Him, so that they had done these things to Him. See, can you imagine? So after He's glorified, one day they walking down the street kicking it. They're like, "Oh man, that's why He had to bring that donkey." And they start remembering that stuff. And they go, "Oh man, it was all in God's plan." Seem crazy? Can you imagine from then, from when it happened up to the glorification? They probably was like, "Man, I'm still tripping off that donkey." And I'm tripping off like, oh, you just died, man. You just left. Like, can you imagine all the questions? Think about the lies that go in our minds. Imagine being there, seeing what you saw, and then seeing him be totally, in the eyes of the world, defeated. How would you think? We can't, we can't be hard on Peter wanting to go back and fish. We would have done the same thing. Like, man, what well, was a good run, but man, brother dead now. I guess I'll go ahead and go back to what I know. Verse 17, look what it says here. Now the crowd uh, that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. So you got this crowd spreading the word. They saw the miracle. Verse 18, many people, because they heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. I want to see this dude. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. You mean, and that's the term we've seen. Remember how I told you guys, you want to circle that. When you see the same kind of verbiage, remember they said that last in, in chapter 11? They're like, man, like. We've been trying to kill this brother for two weeks now. He still ain't dead. Like, what is going on? Like, is my aim off? Like, what's the deal? You know, so they just, you know, see, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Just popularity increasing. He ain't got no bullhorn. He ain't screaming. He's just serving the Lord. Just, just faithful. Just, you know, doing a little healings here and there. Just doing his thing, and people coming, following in droves. Verse twenty. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Uh, they came to Philip, who was at Beth- Bethesda and Galilee, with a request. It says, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to-, to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So notice that. Okay, so you got these Greeks. Now remember, the Jews had their own little deal. You got these Greeks coming to worship God. Now isn't this great? Notice, notice the, 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 uh, the door hinge. Because it's right then, does Jesus now say, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I propose to you that that's, that's very intentional. It's almost like Jesus is saying he's waiting around and wanted to show the world that I'm not just a God of the Jews. I'm God of the universe. I created all things. And so now i got the testimony of some Greek people. Who are coming and saying, yeah, we want to meet Jesus. We want to kick it with this dude. And this meet is not like, oh, I to say hi, Jesus. I want to get to know this brother. I want to, I want to be in the midst of what's going on here. And it's almost like wink wink to the disciples. This is one of the things I've been waiting for. For you to see and for us to understand that I'm here for everybody. Notice this. We got to be careful. That we don't do life. See, personal relationship with Jesus is, kind of, is biblical, um, but we have done something really crazy in our generation. We've made it the focus of the gospel. And I'm telling you, that is not the focus of the gospel in scripture. It's that God has saved us individually, but to be in community. And if ever you miss community, you've missed something. And if ever you've missed that the reality of the whole community is not here yet, and he's still calling us to be on mission to make sure that the community is whole, you've missed the gospel. You've missed it. And so he is my king, but guess what? He said, No, I'm your king. You see the difference? Jesus just didn't come to die for you. And we say that in in, in modern day, you know, our evangelicalism. We want to, you know, and even if you're the only person, he would die. Well, let's not imagine that, because that ain't true. You're not the only person. So why are we going there? I think that's kind of silly. I get the whole desire for a person to understand the love of God. But man, we're truncating it. Cause what we're doing is we're making people like spiritual narcissists. Because now, oh, it's about me. Just for me. I'm that cool. No, it ain't about you. He died for the world. And guess what? He didn't just died for humans. Now, when you think of the Super Bowl of, of what God has done, we're like, we're like the teams playing. So, so humans, we're the apex, we're the sum of bonum. Boom! I'm, 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 I'm putting the ice in the cake by, by showing you, like, the, the, the apple of my eye are redeemed. But guess what? Even with a Super Bowl party, people, people want to see the commercials. Some people want to see the halftime show. People like to see, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on during that weekend. That's how it is with creation. We are the headliners, but there are a whole lot of acts that God is recreating. Okay? He's recreating, recreating everything. So he is... Everyone's king. And that's what hauled to mission. That's why we're called to go out. And that's why we have missed something drastically when we don't. Um, I'm excited because I might get done in time. Uh, no, oh, <laughs> he said, we'll see. And his brother, see, so he's been persevering. Um, verse 20 has been around too long. Verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come, um, for the Son of Man to be glorified, I tell you the truth unless a kernel of wheat uh, falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds mm. um, the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life guys, if you're looking at could you read those over and over again i mean this is this is the this is it man this is um it takes it takes. I see to see this, and it takes spiritual humility. Ask the Lord, Lord, would you allow me to see your truth? Says, it says, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Um, if you've been to our house, we have these paintings that my wife construct. Well, she drew them up, and then we got them painted and there's this verse here. This is, our, this is our family, one of our family theme verses, and we call it the forsaken life. Uh, that basically, just practically speaking, uh, to even to get a field of wheat, uh, the seeds have to die. Uh, the kernels have to get, die and go on the ground, and then that's how you begin to actually have uh, of the wheat. And in the same way he's saying, our lives are like that. And what's interesting here is he's talking specifically about his life right now. Okay, He's talking about his death and resurrection, Uh, That the way he's going to actually allow new creation to be birthed in the world to to allow all things to be conquered is by him dying. So he's saying this is how I'm going to get the wheat that I desire is by is by offering myself Um, in the same way. He says. This is uh, the retelling of the story right here, all of us. The covenant community, he's saying all of us, if we are not willing to also take up this mantle, this reality, we don't experience true life. You hear what he says here? He says, don't miss this. Man, he says, if you think that this is your life, you think this is what it's all about. You have actually lived a fake life and you will miss life. I am begging you, if you do not, if you're playing games, if you're just religious or you just don't care much about God or there's pain in your life, and you don't know how to see the reality of of God even drawing you here today because he loves you. See that he is saying to leave here and to still grab hold onto your life. You are living a life of fakeness. And that only by giving your life, by dying and giving it to Jesus, saying, Jesus, here's my life. Here's all my stuff. Jesus says, I give you my life. What do we do? See, our our manslaughter approach, when you think of our desires, if you can put it up there, is we think Christ will give me the life I've always wanted. So people either won't come to Christ because they think God will not, they they either get it. Now, I, I appreciate these people. Some people get it. They go, you know what, man? I know if I come to Christ, you know, if I come to Christ, he is not going to gratify my sinful desires. So I'm cool. But then some people actually come to Christ so that he does gratify their sinful desires. And they go, and then you start reading the Bible and go, holy, I thought, I thought you were just, you know, my little genie. I thought you were supposed to make everything happy for me and, and no pain. And, and you're supposed to sort of just, just, just gratify all my desires. More money. And name the thing that's the stuff you want. And then when he doesn't, when he actually pushes you to reality, true expectations, and he, and he shows you clearly your false expectations of being evil and not from the Lord and not even being who you're created to be. You're still in the conclusion. But it seems the Bible is saying Christ will give you the life he created you to have. That's the promise. There's a life he created you to have. And I will tell you right now, it's very different than the life you've always wanted. And there are some of us in this room right now, my family, my dear friends. You know this is true. And I pray you don't choose fakeness. Continues on. I'm gonna jump down for the sake of time. Um, well, I can't even. I want. I want to share more about those verses. Just look at those verses. Talk about those in your mat groups. Um, verse 27 says, "Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very. No, don't miss this. Verse 27 he says, "No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So for so his very reason. I don't miss the don't miss the play. Look at the grammar when you're reading the text. He says, he just said, okay, well, whoever serves me must follow me in verse 26. Okay, Jesus, I'm following you. Where are we going? Well, I'll tell you where I'm going. I came to glorify the Father. You see that? So this is, what, this is where Jesus is going. He said, you must follow me. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm dying, and I'm doing everything to glorify the Father. You still following? That's what he's saying. Right? That is a beautiful thing. He's saying, I'm showing you clearly the way to true life. I'm showing you what does it look like to cast your cares on me, to know that I will care for you. I'm showing you, I'm not asking you just to do this. I'm asking you to give me your life so I remember John 10, so I can guide you. This is about you dying to self. Look at this. He says, um, Voice came from heaven. I glorified it and will glorify it again. Uh, glorified it again would be the death. Glorified it could be many different aspects. I mean, we talk about transfiguration. Also, in the, uh, when he got baptized, there's many different times where we see the, the honor and attention of God being made really clear. Not really clear on where it's, where he, what he's meaning there. Verse 29, he says, the crowd that was there and heard it said, wow, it thundered. So they heard some noises. Okay. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Verse, verse 30, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Don't think God had to remind me of who I am. I'm trying to help y'all understand so you can believe. This is happening so you can get it. Right? Continues on and says, now is this, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world would be driven out. So we're driving out, guys, like I'm driving out Satan with my death and resurrection. We're ushering in a new creation. Um, but I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all men to myself. And here's where I'm going to close. So, I'm, so now keep that in your mind. Will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. When I am lifted up, being lifted up on a cross, by, by that act, I'm going to draw men into myself. This is how I'm going to glorify God. This is how I'm going to, to bring my people to my name, to myself. This is how I'm going to draw men to myself, is by the death, the crucifixion. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And look how Jesus responds. And Jesus told them, "You are going to have the light just a little while longer." Can you imagine this? Imagine Jesus' family. He's sharing, sharing, sharing. They're still asking, kind of, you know, almost like rabbit trail questions. He says, "Guys, I'm only here a short time. It's ah, only a little longer." He says, "Please." walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you this is not this is not they said something he said something back this is almost like guys you're just you're not getting it i'm only here a little while longer walk while you still have the chance it says the man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going put your trust in the light while you have it you see that you see that terminology that's expression that's that's, that's expiration date te- terminology Hurry up, guys! You're getting all this stuff. You come in here, and you you know you got people loving on you, and the word of God is being proclaimed. And you leave, and then we're and, and then some you know some of us we're, we're we're still not believing Jesus. We still haven't given our life to Christ. You're 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 serving. You're doing some stuff, and guys, real clear to you, like here's here's what I want you to give. Here's your idol. Give it to me. And we go, no, and, and, and we play the pseudo-life. Every week, the same thing. And you're having lunch with people. And so you're experiencing the covenant community. You're experiencing the power of God. God is showing you I'm real. He's loving you. And yet, he's saying, but you've got to give me that idol, because I'm still not your God. Let's be honest. And we go, no, no. I can fake you out, Jesus. He says, Put your trust in the light while you still have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Do you see that? I'm not just proposing that. I think it's very clear in Scripture. He gives them sort of an ultimatum. I'm tired of this. I'm saying this over and over again. I'm going to say it again, and I'm dipping. right? Family, I say all that to say, hey, are expectations fulfilled? Who's family? Let's do life together. Let's look at this. Who's, there, who's being fulfilled? See, his expectation is Jesus is lifted up and it puts all the focus on him. All the focus. There's not even a, a human desire that can go go alongside that because he just says there's no discussion here. Either I'm lifted up or I'm not. And look at this. Release your expectations and grasp my reality. I think that's what's going on. I think they say they, they say something. And sort of, sort of do the rabbit trail thing so we can get off the subject. He says, No. Listen. I ain't answering about Son of Man and all this stuff. You notice he didn't even answer the question. He didn't go, Well, the Son of Man, went, you know, in David, you know, it says, There's no Psalms and stuff. He's like, No. He says, Listen. You have expectations. And they're wrong. He says, This is the real Jesus. That's what he says, family. He says, this is the real Jesus, not this one. And then the question is, what will we do with that, family? Are we honest with our expectations? Will we express, will we see, will we, will we deal with God's reality? Or will we keep making up our own reality? Every one of us struggle with this. There's not, I know an unbeliever struggles, okay, because you still haven't said yes to Christ. But even as us believers, we struggle with this. And unbelievers, please understand something. We struggle with this. This, is, this doesn't end when you say yes to Jesus. We struggle with the reality of, of, of having to fight, not make up our life, but to continue to give and believe the gospel. But that's the beauty of the cross, is the cross. The cross doesn't say I have to be perfect. He makes me perfect. And now, I can enjoy the struggle. I can say, I'm struggling, but I love God. I struggle with materialism, but I love Jesus. I struggle with having my identity and ambition, feeling like, where, where is my life going to really count? But man, thank you, Lord, for dying for me, that I realize they're lies, I realize they're my struggles, and I want you to heal me, and I want to be able to see life from your perspective. But woe to the one who, who's here and just tries to conjure it up. And your struggle is one of just conviction of God saying, I cannot believe you're living a fake life. You don't even trust me. So my plea is to the unbeliever right now. If you're just going like, yeah, this Jesus thing is kind of weird, and I, but something in my heart is showing me that this, is, this stuff is true, I want to ask you to right now say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I want to say, Lord, I don't have a lot of answers. I have a lot of questions, but I believe you're my king and I want to submit to you. I want to take the promise that when I believe, when I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you're my king, you tell me that you save me, that you make me perfect, that you are my, that just like that, I become your co-heir. I become your son or daughter. I am fully grasped in your love. Not because of anything I did. Not because of anything I didn't do. But I repented of my issues, my sin. I recognize my sinfulness, and I recognize your holiness, and I want to move towards your holiness. If you are a believer to our Metcalf crew, I implore us, please, please fight this. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. Let's not live fake lives as a family, please. Please, would you, would you, would you spur me on to not live fake, but to have his desires? That's why we're here. We're here because we believe that he rose from the dead. Now he's our king. Let's not live a fake life. Be honest with where you are here. Be honest with what your human desire is. Be honest with your your evil, man-centered expectation. And rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Don't fake it. Don't dress it up. Call it as evil as it is. And say, Lord, heal me. Work in my life. Let me enjoy the gospel. And be radical. Do it now. Take it and say, I'm done. I'm done sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm done finding my identity in some dude. I'm done finding my focus on cheating on something. I mean, whatever it is in your life. And let's say, Lord, my life is yours. This is hard, my heart breaking because I love this stuff so much. I, I give it over to you, Lord. And let's live a true life. We're going to take a time of communion right now. And um, I would ask that you would just enjoy the gospel right now. If you know Jesus, that you would say you would just enjoy. As you're taking the bread, represent God's body broken for us, our sin, because he died on the cross for us. He broke his body for you and me. Praise the Lord. And and, and the wine represents his blood shed for our sins. As you're taking it, enjoy the gospel. Enjoy the freedom that God has given us to say yes to his desires, to live in light of his expectations. Just rest in that. Just smile in that. Just bask in the reality that you are God's son and daughter. And if you're an unbeliever, I pray that you would say yes to Jesus. If you have not, do not take these elements. These are not for you. These are for the people of God, for those who say Jesus is my king. All right. No one's looking at you crazy. We're just saying we see this as an expression of worship. Okay. After we do communion, um, then we're going to have. Uh, are we going to do tithes first? We're we'll, we'll actually we're we'll actually start with tithe, we will put the tithe down here. Um, if you are uh, new here, we ask that you please keep your wallets in your back pockets, keep your purses to your side. Uh, we are not trying to solicit resources. Uh, so this don't feel compulsion there. If you are uh, new here and you are a believer, though, and you understand that this is also an act of worship, we ask that you participate, that you enjoy giving to your king because he's given everything to you. Um, if you're a MacAver, we expect you to give because you should understand that this is a time of worship. Um, with that said, we're going to do tithe right now. I'm going to pray do tithe. The, the, the communion is going to come down. Hey, we take it at our leisure. So when you grab it, you can go into corners and take communion. Uh, go anywhere you want. I'm praying right now. Take it You can go back to your seats. You can kneel here and pray. Whatever the Lord does in your heart, please feel free.